Welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 147, uh, New Year's Eve 2020 edition. And so I know a lot of us have been looking forward uh, to the time when the year 2020 will be over. And uh, I know that we are all hoping and praying that the year 2021 will be much better. And I am no different. I certainly hope that 2021 is superior to 2020. But overall, what I want the most is whatever the Lord desires for 2021, because I believe that he has our uh, interests um, uh, at heart that he wants the best for us, that he knows things that we don't know. And so therefore, I trust him to have 2021 play out uh, according to his will. So let's get on with it. And we are in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's drop down to verse 7. And the section title says, God's people brought home. And so it says in verse 7, for this is what the Lord says. Watch. I'm going to bring from the northern land. I will gather them um, from remote regions of the earth. The blind and the lame will be with them, along with those who are pregnant and those who are about to give birth. So the Lord is saying, look, I'm going to bring my people home from exile. I'm going to even bring the sick, the lame, those who are pregnant, those who are about to give birth. I'm going to bring all who want to come back. I'm, I'm, I'm gathering my people for my punishment. My exile is over. Remember, he said after 70 years that he would return the people to their homeland. And so this is what the Lord is saying. And he says in verse 9, it says, They will come weeping, but I will bring them back with consolation. I will bring They'll come crying back, but I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to bring them back with care. I will lead them to the wadis filled with water. You know, I will lead them to places where they don't have to worry about, you know, um, uh, being thirsty uh, because there's going to be plenty of water. And it says, by a smooth way, well, they will not stumble. So I'm going to bring them back, not through, not a hard way. It's not going to be hardships. I'm not going to take them through rough terrain. It's going to be a smooth uh, travel back home. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim's first is my firstborn. And so the Lord is reclaiming his people. Yes, he had to discipline them because of their wickedness and evilness, but his heart, his heart was always for the people. And so he's going to bring them back home, and he's going to take care of them. Let's drop down to verse 15, I believe it is. Yes, and the section title says, Lament turned to joy. <clears throat> this is what the Lord says. A voice was heard in Ramah. A lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, Rachel is uh, was Jacob's wife. And so she's like the, 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 the mother of the country, if you will, you know, the great grandmother of the country. And it says it's speaking in poetic terms that she was weeping for her children, weeping for the country, weeping for the Israelites, for the Judeans weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more, because they've been banished, because they were exiled, because many were killed and slain by the sword, plague, and famine. And so she, she, is, um, uh, she is beside herself. Uh, but the Lord says in verse 16, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for the reward for your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return from the enemy's land. And so, no, your it's not that your children aren't anymore. They are. I'm bringing them back home. So stop crying. Um, stop crying, Rachel. I'm bringing the kids back home. Then it says in verse 17, 
There is a hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return to their own territory. See, So I'm, I'm bringing them home and I'm bringing them back to their own territory. And so, you know, I am the Lord. I'm going to take care of the children. <clears throat> so let's keep going. Mm. Let's go on to verse 27. And the section title says, Repentance and Restoration. And so as we drop down to 27 here, it says, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will show the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of people and the seed of animals. He says he's going to sow the house of Judah and the house of Israel. He's going to plant a seed of people and a seed of animals. You know, he's speaking again metaphorically, poetically, you know, treating this as a garden. You know how you seed a garden. He says, I'm going to seed this garden with people. See, and it says in verse 28, um, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear them down, to demolish and to destroy and to cause disaster, so will I watch over them to build and to plant them. This is the Lord's declaration. He says, yes. Yes, I had to uproot them and tear them down. I had to send them away. I had to, I had to discipline them. They weren't listening. They, they weren't being obedient. See? But just as I did that, I will also bring them back and plant them. <clears throat> so in other words, I, I will also uh, bring them back and watch over them. And not only that, it says down in verse 31, the title is the new covenant. See, we're going we're gonna to have a new deal, says the Lord. Verse 31, look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. We're going to have a new deal. It says in verse, you know, he, his first covenant was, was, was with the uh, Israelites coming out of Egypt. He made a covenant with them through Moses. And so now he's brought them back from Babylon, from their exile. And he says, okay, time is for a new covenant. And in verse 32, it says, this will not be like the covenant I made with, the, with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So he, said, so he says, this is going to be different than, than the old covenant. We're going to have a new covenant. It says, my covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. And so he's reminding them, this covenant is going to be different. You know, you broke the old covenant, and I haven't forgotten that. This is the Lord's declaration. Then it says in verse 33, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is the Lord's declaration. It says, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. You see, before... He wrote the, the Ten Commandments and whatnot on tablets, on stone tablets and, and that sort of thing so that people could read it and, and, and uh, they could be taught and people could comprehend things that way. But he says, with this new deal, with this new covenant, I'm going to put my teaching inside of you and I'm going to write it on your heart. <clears throat> now, we have an innate sense of right and wrong. We have an innate sense of what is just and what is unjust. See, that we have that that's in us. <clears throat> you don't have to teach it. It's in us. We know when we're doing wrong. Nobody has to tell us. We know when we're not being just. We know when we're not being righteous. We know these things. We are not ignorant of these things, even though these things haven't necessarily been taught to us. It's just a part of our inner being that was placed there by the Lord. He says, I will put my teaching within them 
and write it on their hearts. And if they defy me, that means they're making a decision to go against what I put in them. It's not something that they had to be made aware of by somebody else. And it says, I will be their God and they will be my people. In verse uh, 34, it says, no longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord. See, no longer will this be necessary. Will somebody have to sit you down and says, okay, these are the ways of the Lord and start taking you through the tenets and whatnot of the Lord. It says, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. No matter what your station in life is, you'll know me. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive, forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So let's go on. Uh, let's see. Where am I? Okay. Let's go on to chapter 32. And this section heading says, uh, Jeremiah's land purchase. I find, I find this to be very interesting. So here we go. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King, of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So it's just fixing the time frame here. It says, at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging uh, Jerusalem. So they were in the process of taking over Jerusalem. And the prophet Jeremiah uh, was imprisoned in the guards' courtyard in the palace of the king in Judah. And so, uh, verse 3, it says, King Zedekiah of uh, Judah had imprisoned him, saying, Why are you prophesying as you do? And so they got tired of hearing what Jeremiah was saying. They got tired of Jeremiah prophesying their doom. You know, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be killed, and the remnant is going to be carried off. And he kept saying this. He kept prophesying this. And so King Zedekiah got tired of it, and, he's, and, and so he imprisoned him. And said, why do you do as you do? You know, why do you say, you know, I'm going to be killed? Why do you say what's going to happen to my family? Why do you say, you know, why, why, why? He, he was tired of, um, of Jeremiah, basically, is what it boiled down to. And then in verse 6, Jeremiah said, um, replied to him, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 7, it says, watch. Hanamel, the son of your uncle uh, Shalom, is coming to you to say, Buy my field in Anathoth for yourself, for you own the right of redemption to buy it. And so his cousin comes to him. So this is uh, Jeremiah prophesying. And he's saying uh, the word of the Lord came to him that his cousin was going to come to him and his cousin was going to ask him to buy his property. Now, remember, we have the Babylonians and the Chaldeans seizing Jerusalem. They've already taken over the rest of Judah. Uh, of Judah. So now they're, they're seizing Jerusalem. And so his cousin is trying to sell, his being Jeremiah's cousin, is trying to sell him land that he owns, land that has been taken over uh, by the Babylonians. And so essentially is worthless, right? <laughs> He's trying to sell him land that's owned by somebody else, you know, because they've conquered the land. And it says in verse 8, then as the Lord said, uh, then as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel uh, came to the guard's courtyard and urged me, please buy my field in Anathoth uh, in the land of Benjamin, for you own the right of inheritance and redemption. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So the Lord had told him what was going to happen. And it happened. The Lord had told him that his cousin was going to come and try to sell him his land. And his cousin, in fact, came and wants to sell Jeremiah his land. 
In verse 9, it says, So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanimal. So Jeremiah bought what Jeremiah will see later. What Jeremiah is thinking is a worthless piece of land. I'm paying him out my silver, you know, for this land that the king of Babylon owns. That doesn't make any sense. And so uh, let's go on. It says in verse 12, let's see. So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanimal, Hanimal and gave the purchase agreement to Barak. I did this in the sight of my cousin Hanimal, the witnesses who had signed the purchase agreement, and all the Judeans sitting in the guard's courtyard. And so this purchase was a public purchase. Jeremiah did this purchase, got the purchase agreement, and they, they commenced the deal in front of witnesses, in front of uh, other people. This is going to be important, as we'll see a little bit later. Let's drop down to verse 24. And the word says, look, <clears throat> siege ramps uh, have come against the city to capture it, and the city, as a result of the sword, famine, and plague, has been handed over to the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. You have, uh, what you have spoken has happened. Look, you can see it. And so Jeremiah is saying, okay, God, you know, the Chaldeans have seized the city. They've taken it over. Jerusalem has fallen, is essentially what he's saying. In verse 25, it says, uh, Yet you, Lord God, have said to me, purchase the field and call in witnesses even though the city has been handed over to the Chaldeans. See, and so Jeremiah is questioning the Lord. He says, okay, God, you told me to buy this land, you know, but the city has been taken over. It's being run by other people. I have a deed and whatnot, but they own, they have the power. They own the land. <laughs> In verse 26, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. In verse 27, it says, look, I am the Lord. The God over every creature is anything too difficult for me. So the Lord is understanding Jeremiah's issue. But he said, look, is anything too difficult for me? Don't you remember? Don't you know who I am? Verse 28, it says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the Chaldeans, the Babylon's, uh, to Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar, and he will capture it. And so I can ma imagine Jeremiah hearing that and says, yeah, I know that. <laughs> so why did you have me buy this land? <laughs> it's, it's, it's worthless, you know, as far as my ownership is concerned, because it's, it's owned by somebody else. Let's drop down to verse 36. And it says, now, therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the city about which you said it has been handed over to the Babylon's king through sword, famine, and plague. Verse 37, it says, I, being the Lord, will certainly gather them from all the lands. He's talking about his children. I certainly will gather them from all the lands where they have been banished in my anger, fury, and intense wrath. And I will return them to this place and make them live in safety. I will return them to this place and make them live in safety. And so the Lord is, 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 is out in the future. He's saying, okay, what's going to happen is eventually... I'm going to bring these people back, see, and they're going to be safe. And so we drop down to verse 42, and it says, For this is what the Lord says, Just as I have brought all this terrible disaster on these people, so am I about to bring them um, all the good I am promising them. 
Fields will be purchased, a transaction written on a scroll and sealed, and witnesses will be called in um, the land of Benjamin and the areas surrounding uh, Jerusalem and in Judah's cities. And so the Lord is saying, look, when I bring these people back, fields are going to be purchased again, transactions written on scrolls and sealed. Witnesses are going to be called to, 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 to look over to oversee these transactions in the land of Benjamin and Jerusalem and in uh, Judah cities. It says, because I will restore their fortunes. This is the Lord's declaration. And so God is, is revealing to Jeremiah that I had you purchase this land because that is going to be recognized, that, that purchase agreement and deed that you have. In the future, that's going to be recognized. When I bring these people back and reestablish things, those lands that you bought are going to be yours and your, your, your lineage. You know, they're going to be, I don't know, um, you know, whether Jeremiah is going to be alive when they come back, but that's going to be all part of his family's property. So the Lord had him buy the stuff, even though they were taken over and in captivity because he knew he was going to bring them back. And Jeremiah's line was going to, uh, their, their property was going to be expanded. So he was looking out into the future, telling Jeremiah what to do, even though it didn't make any sense to Jeremiah. He knew that Jeremiah was going to profit from what he was telling him to do. And so there's so many times when we want to see, we want to know what the deal is before we do something because we don't have any faith. See, we're lacking in faith. And if we just trust, trust the Lord when we, when we know that we hear him, and we know that we hear what he tells us to do, even if it doesn't make any sense, we can, be, we can be assured that he knows why he's telling us to do what he's telling us to do. The key is we have to be sure that we're hearing from him and that these aren't imaginations in our head. Let's go on to chapter 33. It says Israel's restoration. Um, verse 1, while he was still confined in the guard's courtyard, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. And it said... Uh, for this is what the Lord God, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says uh, concerning the houses of the city and the palaces of Judah's kings, the ones tore down for defense against the assault ramps and the sword. The people coming to fight the Chaldeans will fill the houses with the corpses of their own men uh, that I strike down with my wrath and fury. And so <clears throat> he's saying, OK, th this is what's going to happen to these people. And then it says, uh, I have hid my faith from this city because of their evil. Yet I will certainly bring health and healing to it and will indeed heal them. I will let them experience the abundance of true peace. It says in verse 7, I will restore the uh, fortunes of Judah and of Israel and will rebuild them as in former times. And so he's telling them, you know, I'm going to bring you back. And when I bring you back, you know, it's going to be glorious because things are going to be restored. Then it says in verse 9, the city will bear my name, uh, will bear on my behalf a name of joy, praise, and glory before, before all the nations of the earth who will hear of all the prosperity I will give them. They will tremble with awe because of all of the good and all the peace I will bring about for them. So what the Lord is telling his people says, when I bring you back, we're going to restore this thing to such a degree that the entire world is going to take notice. And not only are they going to take notice because of all the glorious uh, uh, things that we're doing, all the joy and peace that exists in this city that was ruined and desolate, they're going to fear and tremble in awe. 
because they're going to be essentially in a state of disbelief, and they're going to have to reckon with the notion that this Lord God of Israel truly is God, so they will tremble with awe. Mm, mm, mm. And so let's go on uh, to chapter 14, excuse me, to verse 14, and it says God's covenant with David. It says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will fulfill the good promise I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In verse 15 is critical. It says, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up from David and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. This is referring to Jesus. See, it says, the days are coming when I will call a righteous branch to sprout up from David and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. Now, as we read this, we know that when we get to the New Testament, we'll see that the, the, the Israelites of the day at that time, they were looking for a savior to come to rescue them from uh, the Roman Empire. See, so they were looking for a military savior kind of in the fashion of Joshua. And so this is what they were expecting. See, they didn't understand that the Lord was sending a savior uh, from their sins, that the Lord was sending a different type of savior. And so they didn't want to hear that. You know, that's why a lot of people rejected Jesus, because they were looking for something else. Jesus came to administer justice and righteousness in the hearts of the people. They were looking for justice and righteousness with regard to freeing them uh, from Caesar. <laughs> and that's not why Jesus came. <laughs> and so there was some confusion in the camp because of that. Uh, let's drop down to verse four, uh, 17. It says, for this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. The Levitical priest will never fail to have a man always before me to offer burnt offering, um, burnt offerings to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices. And so when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of this. You know, he was priest and king. See? And so he fulfilled all of this, and he was in the line of David. And uh, let's conclude with chapter 34, and it says uh, Jeremiah's word to King Zedekiah. In chapter 34, verse 1, it says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, his whole army, all the kingdoms of the lands under his control, and all other peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all its surrounding cities. It says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Go speak to King Zedekiah of Judah. Tell him this is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon. And he will burn it. So imagine if you're King Zedekiah, and this is Jeremiah bringing another great prophecy. It says in verse 3, As for you, you will not escape from him, uh, but are certain to be captured and handed over to him. So Jeremiah is telling King Zedekiah, the Lord says, you ain't going nowhere. He's going to capture you, and he's going to carry you off. And the next, the next um, sentence is interesting. It says, you will meet the king of Babylon eye to eye and speak face to face. You will go to Babylon. Now, why is that interesting? Because we're going to see later on, I believe in the last chapter of Jeremiah, that uh, king, uh, uh, the, king of, uh, the king of Judah, Zedekiah, went and he did meet Nebuchadnezzar face to face. And Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had him blinded. 
And so Zedekiah ends up being blinded. And the word says here, you will meet the king of Babylon eye to eye. <laughs> but apparently just for a short period of time because he's going to get blinded anyway. In verse 4, it says, Yet hear the Lord's word, King Zedekiah of Judah. This is what the Lord says concerning you. You will not buy, die by the sword. And so it says, um, You will not buy, uh, die by the sword. You will die peacefully. So at least I guess that's a consolation. <laughs> Zedekiah doesn't know he's going to lose his sight, but the Lord tells Jeremiah to prophesy to him that he will not buy the sword, not die by the sword, but that he will in fact die peacefully. And so with that, we are uh, concluding for the day. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 10 again. And I'm trying to make this a habit because this is so critically important. It says in verse 9, <clears throat> If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word says that this message is near you, and it is in fact in your mouth and in your heart. And if you do that, it says you will be saved. I don't know if you've come to the Lord yet. I don't know if you've confessed Jesus yet. But as we are entering the year 2021, oh, what a glorious time to do that if you haven't done so already. With that, take care. We'll pick it up in uh, chapter 35 tomorrow, episode 148. Everybody take care. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.